This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Sports fans, don't be sad that the NFL season is rapidly coming to a close because we still have the NBA, MLB, WNBA, and the XFL coming this spring. And Epson just hooked me up with this new Epic Vision Ultra LS800 laser projector, including their optional 120-inch silver flex screen. If you're out there looking for a new 75-inch or 85-inch TV, don't do that. You have no idea what you're missing. Imagine having an Epic 120-inch mega screen in your home. It's like having four 60-inch TVs mounted on your wall. Introducing the new Epson Epic Vision Ultra LS800 projector. This new type of television experience uses Epson's amazing three-chip, three-LCD laser projection technology to produce an immersive, super-bright 4K Pro UHD picture. And with a 120-inch picture, this is truly epic. You see all the action. Trust me, unless you're there live, this is the next best thing. Go big, go epic. Go to epson.com forward slash wake up to learn more about the Epic Vision Ultra LS800 laser projector. Again, that's epson.com forward slash wake up. And like Epson says, bring the sports book experience home. Do you believe in miracles? Fizzle in the house. Fizzle, what's good, man? Fizzle, glad to have you here. Let's go. This the South Harmon Podcast. Glad you here today. Hit that Patreon link if you here to stay. Dynasty best ball, that's my favorite way. 40 chess trade show. Let's make a trade today or check the AMA. You know Adam at the ATM. Mike always in the building. He gonna stay with him. They gonna start every show off with their own trade. Fantasy's a big ocean, they made their own wave. Make sure you tap in there Tuesdays and Saturdays. Tuesday night, Saturday morning, ain't no better way. Hit that notification bell when the news break. Go subscribe right now, don't get the news late. Destination Devi, that's the team. Dynasty football, man, that's my favorite thing. I remember Biggie said it was all a dream. Now people watching on their phones and computer screens. Welcome to the team. Welcome back in, everybody, to another edition of the 40 Chess Dynasty Football Podcast. So glad you can join us. And yes, we are continuing and finishing off putting a bow on the Dynasty Best Ball roster construction series with our guy, Scott Connor. It has been incredible. Monday, you heard wide receivers. Today, you are going to hear tight ends. And we all get to play a little game we like to call Count How Many Times McNutt Says Juwan Johnson. 
So starting now, there's one. We'll keep track throughout the episode. But Scott, how you doing, buddy? Thanks for doing this with us. This has been a great, great collab that we've been doing. But how you doing? Well, it's uh, it's been a nice 10-day span of talking tight ends on uh, Destination Debbie. And this is going to be a very exciting episode to get to dive into not just tight ends. We're not going to talk a lot of names, but more of the theory behind it. Because I consider myself to be somebody that is one of the few that actually likes to talk about tight ends outside of the top four, five, six. Uh, but we're talking about a format here that matters. And if you can find, you already mentioned Juwan Johnson. He's one of the many that have literally come from absolutely nowhere. And the funny thing is, before I kick it to Adam, sometimes these tight ends, they aren't like the Khalif Raymonds and the Chris Moores of the world that are truly like one-hit wonders, right? One-season wonders. And those guys, typically, the next year, there's somebody else that replaces them. Sometimes these tight ends that come out of nowhere, though, they can give you multiple seasons. It's one of those weird positions that you can find yourself a Logan Thomas or a Jawan Johnson. You're like, damn, I actually have a pretty steady asset in a 1.75 best ball league for four or five years. So we'll talk a little bit about that. It's a tough position to speculate on. Uh, but I think if you can find some gold off the waiver wire or like deep, deep on people's rosters that they don't care about, it's actually more beneficial to hit on these tight ends than it would be receivers or other positions. Well, let me bring in our co-host, my co-host, my best buddy, Jawan Johnson. I, I mean, Adam, how you doing tonight, Adam? I know you and I uh, have a difference of opinion on tight ends. I know we think a lot of the same, but this is one of the areas where we differ because I see every damn startup that we ever do, and I'm always uh, down in the muck at tight ends, and you're out there grabbing all the studs. So how you doing, buddy? You ready to talk some tight ends? Yeah. Uh, Juwan, what's going on, man? We're, we're glad to have you on the show. Um, I, I You would think he's here, but uh, he, he's not. He will. It is as if he's sitting here just listening. Mike's like talking him up. But yeah, uh, Dynasty Degenerates, this is going to be an interesting one. I, I think tight end... And, and I think it's good that we're doing it last because I think the way you build the tight end room should never be how you start and what you're focusing on in best ball. I don't care how good it is. Like if you do that at the cost of all the other position groups, you've, you've failed. So I think it's good to talk about last and there's a lot of different ways you can do it. You can try to go elite. You can try to go get two of the top three or four guys and see if you can basically force your league mates to trade for one of them. You could also, you know, and, and the reason I end up doing that more often than not is because Mike, I know he's going to go dumpster diving and he's going to let me have the top end one. So go ahead. You can have, and he'll find Juwan Johnson or he'll trade for him for nothing. But it, it's a, a landscape because of how few of, of them that matter that really make, I think, how you build uh, pretty interesting. But th there's a lot of different ways to talk about it, I think. But uh, Mike, t tell us what your thoughts are on tight end to start us off, man. Well, for those of you listening, just a reminder on the settings that we're using, we agreed to a uniform set throughout the show so we'd all have an idea because leagues change. I mean, uh, Adam and I play in 35-man rosters. We play in 40. Uh, we drafted, a, what, 60, 70 rounds in that IDP league <laughs> best ball that we did. We do crazy stuff. But this one is a uh, one quarterback, one super flex, Two running backs, three wide receivers, one tight end, and three flex spots with 30-man rosters. And it is a .75 tight end premium. So, Scott, let me start it off and ask you, .75 tight end premium. When we're going to talk the tight end positions, how much more does .75 tight end premium matter to you than the traditional .5 
tight end premium. Like when you look at this, when you're thinking about this episode, how you were approaching the tight end positions, did that matter at all for you, that extra 0.25? So coming at it from a lineup perspective, like if you run the numbers on this premium, usually it's about 12 to 15 tight ends that I would say is the cutoff to where they quote unquote matter. When I say matter, meaning they're scoring in a range where they're viable with the other flex players. So they're viable with your receivers and with your running backs and the flexes. After that, now you're getting into a point where it's like, okay, there's probably a little more value, especially if you're stalking a, a start one versus start two. And I think that's one thing people get really, really mixed up on is a start two, regardless of the premium, you're bringing in this scarcity factor into play, which is a totally different calculation than it is in a start one because it doesn't exist. Then you add in the premium. So here we're just talking start one, but we're talking about a 0.75 premium. So in a lineup league, I'm probably looking at it like, okay, my cutoff is somewhere around tight end 12 to 15. Even the the Dawson Knoxes, the Dalton Schultzes of the world, those guys are actually right on the fringe of you could flex them in a lineup league, and at least it's going to be competitive with some of the receivers and running backs that you're going to throw in there. doesn't mean it's a positional advantage, uh, but they're actually still viable to have them because, hey, I can flex them. When you're below that range, now it's starting to get tricky. And it's interesting because the current tight end landscape literally drops off right around like tight end seven, eight. And it drops off and where it just flatlines all the way down to, you know, I know you've talked about him a little bit, Mike, but like Hunter Henry, tight end 36 in Dynasty. But I'm sitting here going like, okay, Hunter Henry, there's a shot he's just as good as tight end 12. It's not a big difference. Even in a lineup league, I'm probably looking at tight end 15 and tight end 35 as going like, okay, there may be an efficient quarterback away from flip-flopping. So now it's like there's this massive tier and they have different dynasty values too. Like you can spot tight ends and I can, I can just show you a list of tight ends and you'll go, I'll say, Adam, yes or no? Tell me if this guy has any dynasty value. You'll go, yes, no, yes, no. Chiggy Conquo, yes. Hunter Henry, no. Mm-hmm. The only difference between those guys is probably that the market right now in real time likes Chiggy Okonkwo and they hate Hunter Henry. But but reality is they're probably a coin flip because they're both outside of the flex threshold. And that's where bringing in the best ball thing comes into play where it's like, okay, now I'm playing the market because people we're still humans. People still are attracted to certain names and they hate other names. Even if, if you're going to show a math that says they really shouldn't matter. So I think that's where it's kind of fascinating to me is, is I know that threshold, but now best ball, I'm going, how do I want to build knowing where the current market is and knowing that people's psychology is still going to come into the play when it comes into the name Isaiah Likely versus the name Hunter Henry. One is garbage. One is good. For best ball, does it really even matter? Maybe, maybe not. For lineup, I know it doesn't matter because they're both below that starter threshold. So who right. cares? Right. I'm going to cash out on the ones that have market value, and then I'm going to backfill that tight end two, three, four on my team with the guys that have no value because there's really little impact in a lineup. Yeah, I think um, it's interesting because, Scott, you, you talked about the two tight end difference between the tight end premium. And, like, Mike and I just did, uh, you know, an auction with some of the shitheads, and this auction was really fun. And the reality, though, was it was a tight end premium and it was start two tight end. And when you make the scarcity come into play – like if you end up landing two elite tight ends and a two tight end and there's a premium, that's actually just as valuable as two of the high end super flexes. 
Like that's that's the crazy part about it. Now that's in the two tight end. That's where maybe I'll just spend out the nose to go ahead and make sure I land two of these tight ends. Now in a, a one tight end like this is going to be, if you land multiple, you could have two that you just backfill and have a positional advantage. But probably you're doing that with hopes of forcing that positional advantage in a trade later uh, for one of the two players. But Mike, I, I want to start with you and. Um, you know, since we're, sh- we're shit guys, right? Talk about the shit lords in the tight end spot, tight end space. And then also like kind of give us an idea. I-, I think what makes it so hard here versus the wide receiver, uh, discussion we just had on Monday, wide receivers go so deep and it, and it, it goes deeper than you can even think of because there's going to be eight, 10, 12, 15 guys that pop up throughout the season. It's kind of crazy that, uh, I mean, we didn't talk anything about this before we got on here, right? And Scott's just throwing out some numbers and just how they fit. It's been a theme throughout this uh, collaboration. But as far as tight ends go, I mean, last year when you look at our model that we made, Adam, there was three guys who broke double digits on the model, and those are the usual suspects, right? Travis Kelsey was absolutely elite, uh, George Kittle, and Mark Andrews. Kyle Pitts didn't do anything, even though we uh, we had high hopes for him. He still carries a lot of dynasty value, but as far as production, everybody knows who had some Kyle Pitts last year. He didn't do anything for you. After that, you kind of got this tier of pretty good, um, decent enough, and then it just becomes this utter tier of, of shit of what Scott was talking about where you go from, coincidentally, tight end 15 down to tight end 36, and they're all just kind of the same guys. Right, we're looking at situation changes. We're looking at some of them that all they need is an upgrade at quarterback. They need an offensive scheme change. Any one of these guys in this range, and these are the guys who produced there last year, could honestly jump up to fifteen from thirty-six. Right, and Hunter Henry, <laughs> tight end thirty-six on our list. <laughs> kind of weird how that works out, but you got like guys like Chigakwanku, Jordan Aikens. I mean, who who thought anything of Jordan Akins last year came in on our model at, at tight end 20? Like, that should speak exactly to what we've been talking about with the tight ends so far on this show, is that they're just they're just kind of gross. <laughs> they're they're kind of gross after the top three for me. And this is why, Adam, you and I differ when we do startups that I never really heavily invest in them unless I get the the top guys at values, right? If we're in a traditional snake draft and for some reason in a 0.75 tight end premium best ball, Travis Kelsey staring me in the face in the third round, I'm going to pull the trigger. But I'm not looking at him going, you know, in the second round, do I want to take him? Because I'm comfortable just grabbing a bunch of dudes in this 15 to 36 range that nobody really cares about. The tough part, and you brought it up, Adam, is when you do an auction startup that's tight end premium and two tight ends, and you go for other positions and you don't allocate enough funds to go after these tight ends. All of a sudden, I'm rocking by far and away the worst tight end roster in the entire league, and I have to get extremely lucky. So I can get out over my skis in the uh, the shit zone, as you call it, but I'm pretty comfortable down there. I'm comfortable with the, uh, the Jelani Woodses, the Austin Hoopers, the 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 taking the shots on the rookies right that's something that this year i think if if you feel good about it playing in the shitty zone of the tight end is going to pay off big time because this is a great tight end class coming in 
And there's going to be a lot of guys, I think, who have the potential to emerge, and especially in best ball, where you don't have to push the button on them every single week. You don't have to worry about, is is this the week that Greg Dolchich shows me something and you know I can start him with confidence, right? You don't have to go three or four weeks where he's kind of on the fringe. Should I start him? Should I not start him? You're coming on on Sunday morning and asking us on the start-sit show whether or not you should start this tight end or that tight end. In best ball, you don't have to worry about it. Just put the guy on your roster and you'll be fine. So I think this is a great tight end class for that, for kind of playing in the shit zone. I don't know what it's going to do to the traditional ones that I know and love, right? Am I going to be able to find another Evan Ingram like I did last year? Am I going to be able to find the the Hunter Henry of a couple years ago? Am I going to be able to find the Gerald Everett was a good one who came out of the dumpster zone this year? I don't know. I don't know, but we're going to find out. That's for sure. But Adam, I do love the shit zone. I do love playing in it, but I do want to stay within that like top 36, like Scott was talking about. That's kind of the range of tight ends where I'm really comfortable with. I will dabble in some of the the crustier ones, the Foster Moreau's, right? Just can't quit the guy. I will dabble in the, uh, hey, Colby Parkinson. He's athletic. I kind of like him. Maybe I'll throw him on my team and maybe he pays off for a couple weeks, but in general, just looking at tight ends, when I'm talking best ball, 0.75 tight end premium, I'm going to stay within the top 36. And for me, I'm going to get five, six guys in this range, and that's where I'm going to go. I mean, and that's a very viable approach. And, Scott, I want to kind of want to get your, your thoughts on this too because Mike brought up the rookie class, and, and it's already been said, and I think it's not really up for debate, at least what we know about the prospects. This could be the deepest tight end class we've seen in – a decade maybe even um but but it's interesting because the the only problem i have with the rookies and and like if i use last year now it's not as deep of a class uh and scott i kind of want to get your your thoughts on the the young tight ends as a whole the reason we thought kyle pitts was so special is because he not only produced as a rookie he produced to the best we've ever seen other than mike dicka ever at the position so we're thinking he's he's just He's just different. And then he, you know, face plants this year. But but the interesting part is I, I got a question. Who who do you guys think in our model, and Mike, if you're looking at it, don't don't look, all right, for the answer, was the best rookie tight end in our model this year? Best rookie tight end this year. Hmm. Initially I was gonna guess Dolchich. Okay. That'd be my guess. Okay. Kate Otten. All right, and, and and those are both good guesses. But the reason I think it's important is because they they were uh, tied for actually both of them were tied for second, um, one spike, three consistent weeks. But the highest was uh, Isaiah Likely, and the reason it's interesting is there's not much. It, it's by a hair. It's Isaiah Likely because he had a second spike week. But the point is, you don't you can't really rely on the rookies for production now one thing i did want to bring up with this though and and scott i'm curious your thoughts on this is i think that's an exploitable range to trade out of and then get more of the hunter henry types the foster moreau types because there's a name cachet of the next tight end daniel bellinger was a guy i never forget we're watching that morning game you know scott and i were doing the podcast and bellinger had a decent game and we're talking him up and then all of a sudden like that was basically all we heard from Bellinger, but he still has name cachet, right? Uh, Dolchus has had a good rookie season, but he was no different than likely. So some of those guys I think you can trade out of into multiple shots 
the problem with getting multiple shots at tight end is nobody wants to give up too many because there's only 36 or 40 anyone cares about. Yeah, and I think this kind of goes back to, and I've been talking about this from a lineup perspective too, is we're starting to see a new trend, and we talked about it on America's Game last week, is you're starting to see kind of a new trend of people are leaning into rookie tight ends more because of last year's class, and they're going to do it again this year because, well, the class is supposed to be really deep and really good. So I think we're starting to see the changing of the guard where people are drafting rookie tight ends, expecting, especially if you say it's best ball, expecting some production, which is fine. I think teams are using tight ends quicker team tight ends are developing quicker or they're making an impact quicker, but it's, it's easy just to say, well, it's best ball. So I don't really care as long as they give me one spike week and two consistent weeks, then that's a win. When I draft, you know, Sam Lepardo at two two eleven in my rookie draft, like, okay, but I think the real thing you're missing is when you're sitting on a Chigakonkwa or Isaiah Likely, those are the two I pick because the research I've done on tight end says those guys don't actually elevate higher than where they are right now. Like you're betting on an outlier if you're betting on Isaiah Likely to have a top 12 season. Now you might look at the stuff I talked about with Rascore and 40 times and all that stuff and go, oh, I'm going I'm to bet on the outlier. That's fine. But I'm willing to sit here and go, okay, if I'm ha- if I have Isaiah Likely, if I have Greg Dulcich, if I have Chiga Conquo, and I can pivot down and take two shots, and I'm getting Tyler Conklin and Hunter Henry, or Albert Okwebenam and Hunter Henry, or one of those two. If I'm getting those two for ones, in best ball, I want to have the capacity within my roster construction to say, you know what, I can build a tight end room. Give me three of Hunter Henry, Alberto, and Tyler Conklin. I'll give you one Greg Dulcich. I would say in best ball, I'm I'm going to win that deal. Just like the receivers, it's the very similar to what we talked about on the receiver show. Can you trade that Jalen Waddle for three crusty names that the market goes, oh, that guy sucks? All you need him to do is play. So if I'm if I've established the tier of let's say it's 40, like Mike said, or 36, if I've established a tier of 40 tight ends that I'm confident are going to play, I'm okay going to the very, very bottom end. You you can have the more valuable Chiga Conquo or Greg Dulcich. I mean, hell, Greg Dulcich is like tight end eleven or tight end ten in Dynasty. You look right. at his profile and you go, okay. Like, honestly, we had a debate on literally in best ball. Would you be shocked if Albert O and Greg Dulcich have a similar impact? I wouldn't. One, literally, I've seen get cut in leagues. The other one is like, wow, that guy could be the next, you know, whoever. Like, he could be the next stud. So I think that is a very exploitable range. And I think it's quite simply, if I have a rookie tight end that was good last year that finished in the top 24, I'll damn near bet against all of those guys at their value. Mm -hmm. Simply because there's a really good chance they just become the next... Dawson Knox, the next Dalton Schultz, where they're they're good. They're good players. You don't probably have Kate Otten's rookie year unless you are a decent tight end. But am I do I really want to bet at their value that they are worth double or triple? What I mean, he's basically Hunter Henry from four years ago. It's just Hunter Henry never really got any better. But he's still 28 years old. Why, why is he any different than he was three or four years ago from a best ball standpoint? So I think it's a very, very exploitable range to Hit on a rookie, dump them. And then two years from now, they'll be, you know, Hunter Henry or Tyler Conklin. You buy back in. Because I think it's a range no one really cares about and easily exploitable. Oh, man. Uh, Mike, I, I, I want to get to you. But the, the buy back in thing, I think, is what is one of the biggest takeaways you should have here. You know who were two big buy back in guys last year that all of a sudden, like, actually hit? 
David Njoku, Evan Ingram. You bought them after the rookie, all the rookie hype. You felt stupid for years, and then you finally sold away last year, and Mike gobbled them up for you know pennies on the dollar. That's that's the problem. If you bet one, you have to pick the right one. Like of Dolchich, Chig, K. Dotton, you know Isaiah Likely. Like Isaiah Likely to me, and I loved the guy coming out of Coastal. I was just rooting for him, but his RAV score. And he's also behind one of the elite tight ends, too. Like, that's the other thing in his way, which is crazy to me about any value with him. But I think that's the biggest thing about tight ends is we actually have good signals to to pick which ones are going to hang around. Now, now they may never elevate into a role where they have an Evan Ingram or a David Njoku season. Right. But the guys that are going to bounce back, because here's, here's typically what happens. We draft the tight end. When they have a lot of hype coming in, and then they have a good rookie year or a good second year, we immediately go, okay, Mike Gusecki. He was tight end 10, which means if he doesn't become George Kittle or Mark Andrews, he's trash. So then the next year, he's tight end 20. Then the next year, he finds a situation where they don't use him right, and now he's terrible. The profile hasn't changed. The guy's 25 years old with a 9-9 RAS score. That's not going to go away. He might change teams. He might bounce around. But if there's a guy in two years where you go, wow, that guy just had 123 targets, you know, and he was tight end six. It's like Mike Gusecki. It wasn't the guy with a three RAS score that's moved teams twice, never had a 100-target season, or never had a 15% market share. So we have pretty good data that goes, okay, when a team gives up on a tight end that has a 9.2 RAS score and was a third-round pick, you don't just say he's terrible. You just play the market. So I think that's the thing about Njoku and Ingram is why did people ever give up on them? And you know why people gave up on those guys? is because we vaulted them into the top five after like one or two years. They didn't live up to it, so we overcorrect. And it's like, well, they're terrible. So give me the new guy. Give me the fresh the, the fresh car off the lot instead of that one that's been sitting there for four years. So it's, just, it's, it's a theme. It's not just best ball. It's, it's just tight ends in general. When the expectations are high and they don't hit, we overcorrect and we just completely punt the player. Noah fan is right behind me. I know the, the listeners can't see it, but he's right behind me nodding his head in approval Great because call. it sounds like a Noah fan right, right there. It really I is, love man. it, man. But it, we had all the signals, right? You're talking about it. This is why to, to my downfall on a lot of teams that should have had more of it was, was David and Joku. Like I was still in on Evan Ingram, but for whatever reason, you just get tired of waiting to see if Njoko can do it, right? He even gets a contract, and you still go, nah, nah, I'm good. And then he comes out and he does it. These other guys, these ones that people buy in, you talk all the time about these kind of like low Raz guys, these guys who historically just probably aren't going to get it done, that people hype up, that get too excited about, and then never really hit that peak. The problem with the tight end spot is it's literally Travis Kelsey and then a couple good ones, and then a group of just decent, like decent enough, like guys I'm interested in, but always seem to cost too much. TJ Hawkinson, Pat Fryermuth, Dallas Goddard, right? They're good tight ends, but people want the moon for them because they think they're the next group who's going to jump into it. When reality is there's like two or three tight ends, period, that matter, and with Travis Kelsey ruining it for every other single tight end, he puts himself so much head and shoulders above everybody else that nobody can compete. So 
when you go down and you follow that trickle effect, that's why we're talking about the Dolchits and the Chigaquancos and the, the Bellingers. Albert O was that guy last year for a lot of people. Adam, you know how much you loved Albert O, and, you know, we still like him. Uh, but there was times he's just getting dropped, just flat-out dropped within the by, season, and rightfully me. so. I, I had to drop him on some contenders. It just had to happen. No one right. wanted him. No one would trade right. you anything for him. Rightfully so. Like, just flat-out getting dumped left and right on your contenders. But these are the ones, I think, Scott, and this is why I like your your tight end work that you've done so much on these. And and I can't forget last year, there's a 40 chess episode out there where we talked about tight end and Rascors, and your name came up because I made a deal with Adam after reading a Twitter thread of yours about tight ends that have bad Rascors. And I had a bajillion shares of Brevin Jordan and how much I loved Brevin Jordan in college. And I come to Adam and I go, yo, I'll trade him to you for any third. Give me any third round Man. pick. I will trade him away immediately. And we had a good discussion on this show about it. And ta-da, where are we at now? If I still like Brevin Jordan, you don't think I can't go out and acquire Brevin Jordan now? Is it going to cost me a third? Hell no. i probably get him off of waivers or I'll send some 4-10, 4-11, maybe $5 in fab in a best ball league, and I can get all the Brevin Jordan I could ever want. So but what, your point about there being signals about tight ends is so damn true, and that's the one that I think of right off the top of my head. So, so we're less than a half hour in. We got Juwan Johnson a couple times. We got Scott talking to Sam Laporta, and now Mike's bringing back the Brevin Jordan. But, yeah, the, the truth is, I mean, the Brevin Jordan thing, that's a terrible trade I made. I, what did I send you, a third? It was like the 301, too. Yeah, it's rough. Um, it didn't matter what I sent you. It was rough, honestly, because I don't even see him on our sheet here, period. Um, but it doesn't exist. I, I think the thing is, though, get, getting back to how you want to roster construct with the, with this dumpster fire at, after the top several, I think that's why it's the last one for me. And, and the reason I say that, because, you know, Mike and I, we play in all these leagues together, and he, he tends to lean so far into this that I'll end up trying for some of the higher ones. But if you've rostered really good quarterbacks, like let's say you got two of the elite ones, you have a good a good group of running backs, you stayed in the top 40, like we talked about, and then you're just backfilling wide receiver. You have a bunch of depth there. Like if you've rostered the right way, and you spend all your money there, you, now you can just say, I don't have to win at one tight end spot, right? You don't have to win. I just have to stay close enough to where the rest of my roster can win for me. That's the biggest thing and the biggest takeaway I think here is, what have you done earlier? Now, if one of those isn't right, it's probably because you have one of the elite ones, and now that's a positional advantage for you. But if you haven't rostered the first three positions correctly, and you have the dumpster fire, like, where did you go wrong? That That's probably what happened along the way. Because here's the thing. When you look at our model, Travis Kelsey, just to give you a, a like, worth, right, at 22.64, that's literally six. That is six of Gasecki, Chig, Dolchich, Darren Waller. Like, I, I, I'm not kidding you. The, the positional advantage Travis Kelsey gave you last year is outrageous. So you're not going to catch that, even if you have five of the really good ones in the 40 mix, right? But you better be winning at the other spots to make up for that is the big thing. Yeah, I it, think one thing to to just think about when you're talking about where these players will go off in a startup, because 
I like your approach, Adam, of I can save building my tight end room for last simply because I can go multiple ways with how I build it. Because if you just look at, okay, when is the last tight end that I talked about at the beginning in that top 12, top 15, right? Let's assume I don't want to leave my draft without one of those guys, right? I don't want to have to go, man, I got to roster seven Albertos to try to figure out my tight end room. Because the, the one thing about that is you could get those wrong. And three or four of them can literally be absolute zeros. And now you're searching the waiver wire and you have actually nothing to anchor the position. But I think if you you can kind of wait, because you know, just picture a startup board. You know, where is the Darren Waller or the Dawson Knox going to go off the board relative to all those receivers we talked about on the last show, right? Like you probably don't see Dawson Knox come off the board until what, 30 plus receivers are taken? Like just looking up uh, a Deco's ADP, you know, I know it's not best ball, but still at the same time, like Dawson Knox going off the board behind damn near like 40 receivers, maybe right. more. So it's like, okay, if I'm fine with that roster construction, I'm going to get one, maybe even you say two, because by the time you're doing that, you've probably already established what your core is going to be. You know where you're going to be weak at, whether it's receiver or whether it's going to be running back. But as long as I can stick to, okay, if I can get the bottom of that tier inside that 12 to 15, maybe I take a shot at two of those guys. I'm actually comfortable going, okay, if I'm stuck there and I can pull out, let's say I get Gusecki and I get Dawson Knox, I'm fine going with just five yuck tight ends and I'm willing to go to seven with that team. That's not going to be the case if I invested in on George Kittle Dallas Goddard, someone like that. Like I'm, I'm probably going to go, okay, as soon as I hit collect, select on George Kittle in the fourth round or whatever, my tight end number now went from seven to five, maybe four. That, that, that's exactly right. Yeah. So it, 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 it's, 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 playing the, it's playing the room because now I have a lot of pressure to go, okay, I'm probably going to have to roster at least 12 receivers. I'm going to have to roster at least eight of those running backs. I probably gave up one of the viable QB threes. If I went QB, QB, and then I decided to go George Kittle over Jared Goff, now my roster construction's chasing a third quarterback at some point. So it's like, it just feels like the tight end, knowing that your league mates aren't as up to speed on how to build their tight end room, you can probably just take a little more risk. I'm with Mike. If I'm going into a startup right now, I, I have a hard time clicking draft on one of those top, seven or eight valued tight ends because it just feels like I'm now chasing a lot more volatility the other positions. Yeah, I think and, and I think one tight you, end especially a hundred percent. I think when you're talking about it too from a traditional startup standpoint, I mean just to put some numbers on it, it always tends to be the last position I fill when we're talking traditional startups just because of what you, what you're saying, right? Like Dawson Knox is a twelfth round pick. Like that that is my tight end one that I'm drafting. But I'm not just taking Dawson Knox. And then maybe in the 14th, I'm taking Isaiah Likely, who we talked about that on the show already. In the 15th, I'm taking Noah Fant. Now I got three tight ends, bang, 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 bang. But I've gone 11 rounds plus without even sniffing the tight end. I've gone and I've got my running backs. I've got my quarterback situation already taken care of. I've got my wide receivers. I probably got three or four of those guys already where I feel really good about it, where I don't have to hammer the piss out of these crappier wide receivers. Because those are the guys I'd be taking in this round instead. I'm filling out starting positions right now. It's best ball. I can get by. I don't have to choose which tight end has the best matchup and push the button. The crazy thing that 
that I think is one of the first things that we've had that have correlated between lineup leagues and best ball leagues, Scott, other than kind of our strategy with elite quarterbacks is, is the tight ends where even in lineup leagues, I know we talk, man, it's so much fun not having to choose when to push the button on some of these guys, but these tight ends, like I'm comfortable. I just pick a name out of the hat. Like, Oh, this defense is horrible or they're bad against the tight ends. I'm going to start this cruddy tight end this week. And I go on about my business. If I miss, I don't really care. It doesn't detriment my team that much because I've got proper roster construction. I've got studs at other positions. I'm making up for it everywhere else that scores traditionally more points than the tight end. In a .75, it is a a heavier on the heavier than than what we usually think of tight end premium, which is just .5. But it's not one of these crazy leagues, right? You you're talking about one where it's damn near three points like that. Maybe in those leagues, I'm going, man, I want that guy who's going to get 60, 70 catches. I want that kind of tight end. I want the George Kittles. I want the Mark Andrews. I definitely want the Travis Kelsey's because they're just such a positional advantage that other people can't make up with turds. But in a .75, I don't think it's heavy enough for me to invest in the elite guys other than what Adam brought up is the need when people look at their tight end room. Not everybody's comfy with the turds. Not everybody's going to be comfy as a, you know, Tyler Higby being their tight end one. <laughs> Not everybody's going to like that. So if you can go ahead and just keep them from your league mates and kind of create that false market, I do agree with Adam. And I've seen him do it a billion times where he takes these elite guys at the top of the draft and then turns them into a hall later on. But I don't think, Adam, if you were in a league where, trading was wasn't allowed like if it's one of these weird best ball leagues where you couldn't trade all year you couldn't make transactions no, you'd 100%. be as likely to to try to pull off one of those moves I, I would never do that in a startup right now there, i'm in one league for example where it's only one tight end and it's a 1.75 tight end premium but i actually have kelsey kittle and andrews and i'm not trading them and it's not even now at that point i'm just making sure that no one they can flex for me now and two, now nobody has anything at tight end that means anything, right? Like everybody all of a sudden becomes in the muck. But I didn't draft them in the you know third round and second round and fourth round of startups. I made trades to, to make that happen. But that, that's why in one tight end, I, I think what you're talking about here, Mike, is so much more viable. And, and the other big point about it is if you stay in the right ranges when you're trading later, right? So, so let's say you take this approach where you wait on tight end and – your tight end room is the, the position you need to work on. Well, okay, so what you don't want to do is then see Njoku resurge last year and try to trade a first or something plus for him. Like, you don't want to invest in him at that point. But what you can always do, even when Juwan Johnson was smashing last year, uh, I don't know, what is that, three times, four times? What are we at, Mike? Is that you're keeping, keeping count? <laughs> yeah, that's for the listeners, man. They, it's a fun game. <laughs> um, Juwan Johnson, when he starts hitting all these you know spike weeks and consistent weeks, you can trade for him really cheap. Like in one tight end, the scarcity is not high enough to where guys like that that are devalued in dynasty, people will always part with. And that's what makes this more viable in a one tight end format is you can buy Juwan Johnson. You can buy Tyler Conklin. You can buy Tyler Higby. You can buy Hunter Henry. You, you can buy the gross devalued tight ends. But I think the big, the big thing to note is don't try to do that with the, the surging rookie tight end. You think you're going to have three years of value with. I mean, Pat Fryermuth is another one. Don't buy Pat Fryermuth. As much as I like him, 
Like the last thing you want to do is basically wait till all those elite ones go and then draft the next one in Pat Fryermuth, who doesn't give you any spike opportunities on a team that's not scoring much. So it's kind of understanding one, you maybe have to have a couple more tight ends and then two, looking for the cheap ones on waivers and in trades to add to your team so that you have five to seven that give you a weekly shot, even though you're still losing at tight end, you're just, you're not looking to, you just don't want to get gape there. As long as you keep the gap close, the other positions that you have rostered right win. Quickly, before I get your, your thoughts on it, Scott, doesn't it also feel kind of at the tight end position? You just mentioned it there, Adam, like the Pat Fryermuth, the the Dallas Goddard, uh, TJ Hawkinson last year. Doesn't it kind of feel like if you were in a startup draft, like all the elite quarterbacks go, and your answer is to reach and take Kirk Cousins next? Like, cause you're like, oh man, all the quarterbacks are gone. I got to get the next one off the board. I have to do it now. Right. Like to take Kirk cousins at the end of the second, because all the top 12 quarterbacks are gone. It feels a lot like that at the tight end position where, you know, Kelsey goes, Kittle goes, Andrews goes, Kyle Pitts goes. And then your answer is Pat Fryermuth. I got to take Pat Fryermuth right off the board. Next you're chasing, you're already set up to fail, but Scott, go ahead. what do you think about what Adam had to say there? Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Underdog! That's right, Destination Debbie is now partnered with Underdog. It's an incredible opportunity and you know my affinity for best ball. How about getting in those contests and taking down some of these big tournaments, getting that best ball money. And right now, if you sign up with promo code 4DCHESS, you'll get a 100% deposit match up to the first $100. And the best part is Destination Devi Discord will be free to you for a year. You will get access to all the strategy that we will be talking about as far as taking down some of these tournaments and the best ball tools that will come with it. What a perfect marriage. Destination Devi, 40 chess, underdog, best ball, say less and sign me up. Now back to the show. Well, I think Adam hits on one point that if you are going to go early at tight end, because uh, I talk about this on the lineup roster construction, but I think a lot of people feel very, very uncomfortable taking this to the extreme just because the tight end markets, even in 1.75 leagues, are extremely volatile. The trade markets, you know, that the trade value doesn't always match up to the positional advantage value. And I think that's just because the nature of the position, you know, people are a lot more apt to go chase the Garrett Wilsons versus the Dallas Goddards. When then you look at warp and you go, they're very similar. In fact, I might actually rather have the Dallas Goddard simply because in this league, if you're going to go early at tight end in, in lineup, this makes sense to do, but in best ball, it's almost imperative. If I chose to go early on a tight end, you know how I'm beating the rest of my league mates by doing that in a best ball 1.75 is to still almost stick to that six or seven number and continue to hit the tight end. So right. it's hoarding them away from the other teams. So exactly. If exactly. I hit Kelsey, you know what, if you're going to leave me Goddard, I'm going to take him. If you're going to leave me Fryermuth, I'll take him because you know what? He's my third tight end. I don't have to pick when I start him because it feels real, real gross. If you're in a 1.75 start one lineup league to click start on five tight ends. Even if they're all inside the top 12 and the math says, well, hey, I can flex all of these guys. 
it still feels uncomfortable because then you're sitting here going, man, I got this receiver. And I know a receiver is much more likely to have a 25 point game than a tight end, even a tight end spike. It's hard for some of these tight ends to have a 25 point game. It's almost impossible, especially if they don't get a lot of yak yards. Right. But man, in best ball, if like Royal Rumble, for instance, 14 team, 25 man rosters, if I can have four of the top 15 tight ends and I don't pay four of the top six round startup prices to get it, the advantage in trading them away is less than what the advantage is because I'm literally punishing probably two or three teams because I'm refusing to trade them. It's, it's almost like, let's say you have two elite quarterbacks in best ball and you organically hit on a third but you also have another fourth and a fifth. Your roster construction might get a little saturated, but man, you know, if I have three top 10 quarterbacks, me holding one means someone else doesn't have one. And the nature of the position is like, dude, if I have another top six tight end, if I have three of them and you have Kittle, Kelsey and Andrews in a league, there's not a single team that it can even match your Andrews or Kittle, let alone multiples, let alone if there's an injury or a bye week or something like that. Like, the positional advantage is more than just the positional advantage. It is you're forcing one or two other teams to a overpay for all the rest, but you're probably forcing a couple other teams into just flat out zeros a lot of times. Right. It it, it literally works twofold. So then, what they'd have to give you, it would never happen. Right. Like and they'd you have to give you so much that they would they're going to laugh at you. You can't do that at receiver either. Correct. Correct. Very hard to go. You know what? I'm just going to take so many receivers that it's going to crowd out two or three other teams. It's not possible. It's very hard to do that running back too. Cause now what's happening at running back. If I do that, if my first five picks in a startup are running backs, sure. I might've created that, but the nature of the position leaves me with a extremely volatile roster. One or two of those guys get hurt or drop off. I know I'm being left holding the bag. Right. Mark Andrews has a down year. I'm probably not left holding the bag the next year. He's good enough. You know, I'm right back in that same range. So I think it is viable. And I haven't even thought about it until you brought it up in best ball, Adam, but I'm starting to think I'm either going big or I'm going, I'm not going at all. Yes. Here it is, baby. Pound the table. We got Scott on both sides. He he gets it though. See, that's the thing though. You, you can play both of it. And I think in best ball, what's intriguing about it is, we just went through every other position. So, like, we talked about receiver. Now, in lineup leagues, that's where it's kind of different. Like, if you had Jefferson, Chase, and Lamb in in lineup, I mean, good night, right? Like, I, I don't care about the other backfield stuff because we get the roster clogger by wide receiver 40-ish. But in best ball, I can go to wide – I can have wide receiver 40 to 80 and still kind of catch up with you reasonably, right? That's where, at this tight end position, it's the only other one besides quarterback – where you can kind of find a way if you get enough of the early ones to one, have trade leverage that's ridiculous, but two, actually keep points away from other people's teams. You can't do that anywhere else. You can only do that if you had the quarterbacks or the tight ends. That's the only one because the positions that matter, it's just not enough of them. I've heard those uh, yearly best ball players talk about it on other podcasts, right? Other other content creators out there talking about yearly when we talk about like underdog drafts, for example, and playing the bully tight end kind of position. And and those aren't even tight end premium leagues. Like I couldn't imagine pulling off a uh let's let's call it the tight end horde, man. We're big fans of the QB horde in startups and how much dividends it puts in. It's either trade me what I want for it, which is going to be an absorbent price or 
enjoy your turds at your position for the entire year. It doesn't really bother me either way I went out. Now we got the tight end horde. I like it. <laughs> Instead of bully tight end, it's just going to be the tight end horde. It fits with the QB horde. Adam, yeah. I uh, I kind of see what you've been trying to do here in some of these recent startups, man. You're going with the tight end horde, aren't you? Well, you- I mean, you, you also have to understand the risks in the differences in leagues, right? So, so the risk, for example, in the Royal Rumble, right? I did that last year. Let me tell you how it can fail. So I ended up, I didn't get Kelsey. I got uh, Kittle and I got Waller, right? So what happens there? So what I paid up was, I thought it still was, a reasonable price point, but Kittle remember started off hurt, then was slow. So for the first five weeks, didn't do anything. Waller, I think started had one spike week and then he got hurt for a huge stretch. So now because you've leveraged that much in one tight end, the trade value wasn't there for either one of them early. So now you've lost everything and your the rest of your team's probably not roster constructed appropriately. Right? So that's like in one tight end, it can work, but there's, you better make sure you're doing it correctly because if you do too much value into that position and it doesn't pan out, you're going to be SOL. Whereas in like quarterback hoarding, it just doesn't, it's so much more unlikely to fail at quarterback hoarding. Um, but where, where you get the two tight end, it doesn't matter because now in two tight end, the difference there would be like Goddard and Pat Fryermuth, although you don't want them in one tight ends, right? But in two tight end, all of a sudden you want them because of scarcity. So, there's kind of just different ways to play it. Um, and the reality is Mike is always doing the gross dumpster dive, give no money into the tight end position. So I end up having to try to try the top one, but man, you know, it, come on, man. That's just because of, just because of Scott, man, I chase, I chase RAS scores and I chase undervalued tight ends. That's why but, I love Noah Fant. That's why I it. love Jawan Johnson. That's why yeah. I love Evan Ingram. That's why I love David and Joku, right? These are the kind of guys that I'm going to chase. If you don't value them, and they have a high RAS score, and they've at least done something in their career at some point, like they've shown at least something, I'm going to invest in you. And that, those are the kind of guys I'm going to target as like the core of my tight end room in the later parts of the rounds. But there's also some guys in there that maybe don't have the best RAS score. They're really crusties, right? Nobody likes Austin Hooper. He's he's terrible. He's, he's slow. He's gross. He doesn't good. do anything. He hasn't been good since he left Atlanta. That's the kind of guy also that I want to want. Yeah, because, I was gonna say good. I want him then. Yeah, because he just me. may he just may fall into two, maybe three, maybe four weeks where he's right. gonna make my lineup. All right, uh, best ball uh, sheet, Mike. No looking. Austin Hooper. Who mm. y- you ready to see who he was valued as much in our model? There, there's two huge names in here. I'm gonna guess Darren Waller because he had a horrible year. I shouldn't have said that. Gave it away. Okay, Darren Waller. Ooh, huge names. Huge, huge names. names. Hmm. How huge? How huge? We talking like top fifteen or better? Or Bigly, lower? massive. Cal Pitts. Because there he you also go. Had a there you go. <laughs> there you go. Like now, those uh, guys did miss a lot of games. I'll give you that. Agreed. But just just for a second, think about that though. Yeah. Like you yeah. In, what you invested in Darren Waller and Kyle Pitts. Right, even if you were trying to do the horde or trying to have two of the, you get Austin Hooper gave you what they did for, for in best ball, right? So, so that's the downside, I guess, is what I'm trying to say is, and Austin Hooper, everyone like Mike said, he's he's he should have never got that contract in Cleveland. He, he's washed. He's not that okay. Fine. He still was tight end three one week, 
and was a tight end eight another week. So like wow. that's that but that but that also speaks to if you want to go dumpster dive, go ahead and get Austin Hooper at value. Like that's it, kind of the same thing as the Hunter Henry thought process, right? And that is the type of name that I believe in Royal Rumble, Austin Hooper actually got dropped over the offseason. <sighs> and it, it like that, but that's the type of name that could get dropped. And you go, okay, someone is valuing like I bet you if I go to somebody and I say, Hey, what do you want to trade me that Daniel Bellinger share? And it'll be, I need at least a second, right? Because it's a 14 team. It's a 1.75 premium. Meanwhile, Zach Ertz got dropped. Right. Right. Uh, Austin Hooper got dropped and I'm going, okay, let's best ball. I'm, let me just pick those two up. There's a, I think you guys would agree. If Zach Ertz plays, there's a very good chance. Zach Ertz plus Austin Hooper. Well outperforms Daniel Bellinger. Yes. Yet yet one somebody wants a second for. And I get it. The problem with like playing it how Mike and I would, if I hit on a couple of those gross tight ends, I'm invested in keeping them. Correct. So it's almost like someone comes to me and goes, Hey, that Albert O, he's not really that good. I'll give you a third. And I go, Well, he's he's actually worth more than a third to my roster. Right. Yet if it's a 25 man roster, like Royal Rumble, I'm going, well, there's a decent chance that someone drops another Alberto in a week and I can pick him up. So it it, it is interesting at this position where, man, like pe- the, the the bias towards some of the names and the recency bias towards what a player has done most recently is uh, extremely, extremely high in, in, at tight end. You, you made me think of two things. One, okay, so, so Royal Rumble – because it's only 25-man rosters, it's probably where you, you will see some tight ends drop that's like, wow, that really shouldn't have happened. And I got to yep. go bid on them, right? Because it, it forces you at 25. Now, he, here's the other thing, though. And it, it's interesting because, man, th- there's so many ways you could actually play this. Like like Mike and I, you know, we made a trade, and I he probably overcharged me for Ertz, and I didn't care because I'm like, he's going to help me win, Right. The reason I basically was willing to overpay for that was that was the one position I needed. And I didn't see there's not enough scarcity. The scarcity is so high here that you don't necessarily be able to buy just any tight end from anyone. Like you're already talking about on your build. I'd rather not trade you Alberto for what's reasonable, right? If you do the, the dumpster dive stuff. So let's say you get five to six, seven shots because of just numbers you're likely, like Mike always does, he lucks into one, like he'll hit an Evan Ingram, one of them will be that, right? One of them will be almost good enough to just by himself make up for it, right? And then he finds Juwan Johnson, and then all of a sudden you're fine there. I think that's where it works out by numbers. But if you ended up taking five of the really turdy ones, right? Like if you ended up not hitting Evan Ingram, you ended up hitting all the low-end ones. Like if your highest was Robert Tanyan, Right, like if you got really gross, even Hayden Hurst, like Hayden Hurst and Robert Tanyan, whatever you think of them, and Hayden Hurst was on a good offense, had two consistent weeks, no spikes between them, right? If you have Logan Thomas and Daniel Bellinger, if you had that tight end group, you only have like four times that you even had a top twelve tight end, like you're actually losing points, a bunch of all the value you created over the other positions. So, so that's where it can be problematic. Once again, the reason I think it's still viable is you can always go buy one of the Austin Hoopers or Juwan Johnsons or whatever later. 
That's right. So, Scott, let me ask you then. Do you also kind of have like a threshold? I mean, we're talking about best ball, but there's a lot of similarities to also how you kind of build out your tight end room in, in lineup leagues as well. Where you, you know, I've heard all the podcasts about it. Um, there's definitely guys in two tight end leagues. You and Eric have gone over it when you went over everybody's rosters in the NFL. Uh, when you got to the tight end positions about guys that you still be interested in rostering or sniffing your roster. Thinking about this with our settings, 30-man rosters, where we're at already. So just to recap, we're at five quarterbacks, eight running backs, about 12 wide receivers. So thinking about it now, is there a a number of tight ends, if you're going to go to the crusty land, that you're kind of going into? Where are you going? Well, let's put the premise on you, you've got a good quarterback room. Maybe you executed the whole trade up you got the two elite quarterbacks so we're only sitting at four quarterbacks uh your running backs are decent enough you might only be sitting at seven and your wide receivers pretty good tight ends the one position where you went i ain't taking these dudes i ain't taking them till they're later you're only sitting at maybe 11 12 you're you're starting to get into some of these later rounds how many tight ends are you looking to put on your team like is there also a threshold too of the tight ends where you're going after like this range of guys I'm good, man. I think these guys are just absolute dog shit. Yeah, I think I'm going to stick with the uh, probably the seven number, but I could justify going down to five if I do something like what Adam's talking about. And I don't think I need to necessarily do it by getting the Andrews, Kittle, Kelsey. But if I end up with four or five tight ends where I go, okay, I picked up, you know, I picked up Tyler Higby, I picked up Darren Waller, I picked up guys that I'm fairly confident what they are i'm okay going with five or six there but i do think you have to establish the cutoff especially if it's 30 man rosters or even less like we're talking about with royal rumble you do have to have a cutoff because it's the same thing with running backs lineup leagues even if it's 1.75 or 2 ppr i can afford to carry two or three hunter longs on the bottom of my bench a complete zero and i'm just going okay this guy has the profile where I'm fine holding him until his fourth or fifth year. And if he doesn't fire by then, then he's a cut. But he's not hurting me by being on the team. So I think that's where you have to be a little more cognizant of probably when you get into the middle rounds of the startup, you're going to want to hit all of your tight ends. Maybe one or two I'll pick at the very end. But I'd rather dumpster dive for receivers versus tight ends. I do think you probably have to go in that 30 to 40 range and say, that's going to be my cutoff. Cause I don't want to get to the season and go, man, I have three tight ends that they're just not even playing. Well, that, that that's okay. Uh, circling back to the rookie conversation, right? I think that's, that's something that's missed. Okay. Yep. Yep. So, so think about this for a second. You know, who basically was not even basically was a complete zero for your team. until week 13, Chigakonkwu, like, the same thing can be said about these rookies. Uh, Trey McBride was the, another one, right, that didn't do it because Zach Ertz is there, and people are probably waiting on him. If your tight end room has, let's say, five or seven, but you're rostering three of those, you aren't really rostering five or seven. You're rostering two or three or four, right, because you have three of these rookies that aren't doing anything. I mean, even Kate Otten didn't do anything until week nine. And I, I guess the point there is, this is where a, a, a big principle is understanding the whole totality of your team. You can afford maybe three to five at most in a roster 30 that are wait and sees. 
you pick the position. You could, if you want to do it all at tight end, go ahead. But just understand that at a certain point, you're going to end up at a position where, man, I got to figure out what I'm doing with Chig, and I have Trey McBride. Crap. And guess what? In best ball, people are not likely to trade for your dynasty value in a playoff push. Like that's another point that's different than in lineup in best ball. So understand now, like you're you're facing across. Do I cut Chig? I bet you look there's some, probably someone that did it. Like that's what can happen. Um, so I guess that that's another big point is understanding the type of tight end you're rostering and what it looks like. You know, you know Hunter Long. Like you wait on him for three years and what he's traded and still's done nothing. Right? Like that. That's the problem. Well, I th- oh. I think also knowing that a guy like Hunter Long could have this profile, but he, to break from where he is right now into tight end 30 is literally could be just luck of the draw. Right. So he's going to be, he is the type of profile that is going to be on waivers in a lot of leagues until he does one thing. And then you're going, okay, that's a guy I'm picking up because even if he's tight end 30, he now fits that six or seven and he does it viably where maybe he's in my lineup a couple times a week. And I think that's where I almost want to stop taking tight ends in a startup and maybe go a little slimmer if I'm doing a startup right now, but I want to probably get four or five where I'm pretty confident in what their roles are going to be. Cause there's always going to be a Hunter long or a Bryson Hopkins. And I know they have the profile cause I've done the research, but they've done absolutely nothing. But to, all they have to do to, to say like, okay, they've done something is have one game, literally one game. And then you go, okay, Hunter long just had five targets this week. Guess what? That's a guy you pick up off waivers. Cause he has the profile to go with it. So I, I don't think if I'm doing a startup now, I'm going more than five or six tight ends. I don't want to go seven or eight because I'm undoubtedly going to go, okay, let me draft. Let me put that Hunter Lung. Let me put that Bryson Hopkins. You know, I'm, I'm going to have three or four of those guys to start, and then I'm going to probably be not the first one to cut them. So maybe I go a so, little slower. So you like the five number. I think oh, I'm doing I like that five number. To tie too, it yeah. up with the numbers, I'm going five and 12 at tight ends and receivers right now, uh, barring that I'm not just completely shut out of the mid-tier tight ends and I'm stuck dumpster diving. If I'm stuck dumpster diving, like my roster in Royal Rumble, I believe right now, has 10 tight ends. I fully, <laughs> I fully expect that of all the tight ends I'm rostering right now, half of them are released before we get to the season. And I already know that. So that's why I'm casting a much wider net in March than I would be if I was doing the league from scratch. There that's, that's a great point. I think um, wh- one of the points here I, I wanted to make is a, a total I- idea too, right? Because the reality is it's when you downs here, right? And it doesn't matter what the position is. You downs here, you get either extra pieces or draft picks, all these extra stuff that you're getting as a plus or a netting additionally. Like you're building that up to go fix whatever happens in season. And, you know, like quarterback right now, I think is one of these where everybody's essentially like, I have to pay, like in the auction we just did, Mike and I, it got crazy. I mean, what 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 we saw the quarterbacks going for was just it was a fight to see who wants the top twelves, and that's what's going to happen now. But if you think about how it works, right? Okay, we talked about these tight ends you can buy cheap, and the reason I want to bring this up is it's not just tight end; it's every position if you do it appropriately. So Geno Smith, right? Like Geno Smith, think about in, in how many of your leagues everyone's like, "Oh, this is such a fluke; it's not going to continue." Geno Smith could could have been had for a second. 
Like that was a patch best ball quarterback last year. It's not the greatest thing, but at the same time, it's quarterback five on our warp chart, man. Like, I mean, what do you want for a second round pick in best ball? Like people were panicked on Justin Fields for the first four weeks. Like you, you can, if you have enough stuff stockpiled, go buy quarterback even, but running back wide receiver and tight end, especially if you have stuff tucked in, you know, in your drawer, you, you can go buy stuff on a rainy day. Like it just, it's the way it is. There's going to be people that pop that you don't even think about either. It's on waivers or in trades. You can go acquire them if you need it. But I, I think if you take all the stuff we just talked about with all these positions down tier, make sure your room on all these looks appropriate. When things happen, you'll, you'll be in a position to go buy it back up. I love that five number. That five number just feels right. That's where I'm going to go as well. Five tight ends. And it doesn't matter really to me, even like say I started off some draft and somehow I got Kelsey Kittles and Andrews. I still want two tight ends that I'm going to take a shot on. Right. I still want some of those guys in that range that I feel are devalued because what happens? What if they hit? Well, maybe I can rely on them during the season and now I can pivot one of these other guys. Like maybe somebody's going to pay me the premium price for Travis Kelsey. Is it going to hurt my team? Yeah, but I'm still really good at tight end. So I like the five number. I'm with you, Scott, too. Like I really don't want to have like seven, eight of these guys, even though I think they're the values. Because the first thing I always do out of every damn startup that I do, whether it's auction or snake draft, as soon as the league and the rosters are done and I'm looking over my team, I'm looking at the waiver wire and I'm going, man, I'd take a shot on that tight end or I'd take a shot on this guy, or I kind of like his position. There's so many of those guys out there that I can talk myself into, at least as projections or plays. And it may be exactly what you're saying, Scott, too, is, shit, I might balloon up to 10 of these guys. I know I'm going to cut half of them before the season starts. Like There's a team in a month that's going to draft a guy, and I'm going to go, well, that's it for this dude. (laughs) There's no chance now. You know, if the the Lions go out and draft uh, Michael Mayer, for example, I'm just throwing shit against the wall, but if they draft Michael Mayer, all those projections that I've had about Brock Wright or James Mitchell, I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much just done. Throw that shit out the window. That's over. Those guys, I drop them. Like, they're off my rosters and going. So I really do like that five number. I do like the tight end horde. That's something I might have to try at least once. I'll probably have to do it without a league that I'm in with Adam, but... That puts our final numbers, boys, at five quarterbacks, give or take, depending on how you how your draft goes. If you can execute the startup, eight running backs feels just about right. We did say five, and then you kind of got three pivots. About 12 wide receivers and five tight ends brings you up to 30. And, uh, Adam, you touched on it a little bit too. It does feel like you got about two to three roster spots where it can just be projections or – we also have to keep in mind, man, if we're talking no injured reserve slots during the season, there's 100%. going to be some guys that are going to get some zeros. So the guys that you don't want to cut that are way too valuable, but you just can't trade, those are also going to eat up those slots. So projections are going to go out the window. Scott, Scott, I'm curious, your uh, your thoughts on the tight end, the whole thing as a whole, before I get us up out of here, man, I, I thought this, let me just say, I can't believe the series is already over because it feels like we just started it. But th- this series was awesome, man. Uh, I'm really, really glad that you we were able to hop on and Mike and I were able to do this collab because I think this is, one, it was good for us to talk all this stuff out. But two, I think this is going to be hard to put a value on for people that are getting into best ball startups 
that were unsure of how the differences work. Yeah, maybe we'll do a follow-up show in a couple months and just talk like some generalities of best ball strategy. I know you guys talk about this all the time, but trading strategy. And it's essentially because we're operating in this weird space where almost everything that we use to try to gauge player values, pick values, it's all based on a lineup, certain cookie-cutter format from a dynasty perspective. A lot of times it's just 12-team PPR. You know, that a lot of times it's not factoring in best ball, deeper rosters, deeper lineups, tight end premiums, point per carry. Then you have some leagues where you throw like six of these into one. Whatever's on paper from like a trade calculator or ADP standpoint is absolutely meaningless. So really right now we're in this weird period where there's not a lot of content that's covering this. So right now, a lot of our strategy is probably just manipulating the fact that most of the people we're playing with haven't fully caught up to it. But what happens in two or three years when almost everybody's caught up to it? You're starting to see that in lineup dynasty now. A lot of people are playing more with a process. They're, they're not going for the let's just chase players approach anymore. So you're having to adapt. You're having to find the edges in terms of psychology and basically using just math of the player pool against people. But it's not there in best ball. That's part of the reason why I'm glad I've, I've done this with you guys and I'm glad I'm starting to play more best ball because I do want to get some leagues established before it starts to catch on. Cause I do think it'll catch on. I mean, Ray's leading the charge, right? Like Ray talks about, I don't even play in lineup leagues a couple of years from now. You know, it, Ray, Ray blows up and it's like, dude, the best ball is like becoming the norm. Yep. I think we're going to start getting some of these sites that are going to start offering dynasty content and it's best ball. It's yep. dynasty best ball only. So I think to having this in our back pocket, uh, has been interesting. Honestly, I'll just say this, Adam, to answer your question and close it out. The uh, What I thought it would be is pretty much where we've landed. It's running backs and wide receivers. You can almost flip-flop them from lineup to best ball in terms of like where you're going to put your cutoffs and how many you're going to roster. And then you nailed it earlier, man. The tight ends and quarterbacks are – the player pool is the player pool. It's limited. It's scarce because it's so limited and because there's only – 40, 50 viable tight ends and quarterbacks in a given year. Like you have the ability to hoard where you probably can't in the other two positions. So I think that's, uh, that's my takeaway, but uh, great stuff guys. Maybe we'll do a follow-up on this in a month or two, just general strategy stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we would love to do the follow-up uh, dynasty degenerates. Th thanks for tuning in, uh, tapping in with us again this week. I, I hope this whole series really brought you a lot of value. I know just talking through all these points and, and thinking about how I wanted to make sure my mind was getting out the points I wanted to talk about was was really good for me. I think another point why Mike, you know, we, we, we settle on the, the tight end number at five and why like in the leagues that Mike and I run, it, it's like a lot of times 35 to 40. Now, if you think about that, right, because of that, it makes even the dumpster tight end more viable. Why? Because you could just sit on seven or eight now. There's 10 extra spots. You can afford more spots. I think that's another thing to think about. Scott talks about the math all the time. And this is probably something that I've seen enough this year that I need to do a better job of thinking about this, right? If we're rostering 30 and you want to go dumpster tight end and you're only going to pick up five, what if you don't get the right ones? Now you can go trade for ones later, but like those are different edges where in 40, you don't you can roster eight and 40 man rosters and it's not going to hurt your roster construction at all. That's why that becomes even more viable, right? So understand like your specific league and make sure that you're using this as a guideline 
but it's not an end-all be-all like your market's going to be your market your league is going to be your league make sure you tailor what we say here to how your league is because as you know when your league mates are playing chess play 40 chess well, that's going to do us. It's been an incredible series. Thank you so much, Scott, for doing this with us. I have had a blast, and we will see you same time, same place next week to talk more about Juwan Johnson. That's all I got. Peace.